Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young. Pete Ball is here with me as well. A little little break in there, uh, but we're we're back. We're ready to go. I mean, pitchers and catchers have reported. Today was like, I think everyone's actually reported. I think today was supposed to be the last day for even position players to show up. So we're, baseball's happening. Football is over. Thank We've hit God. the NBA All-Star break, so nothing else matters in the NBA. This is just where everybody starts resting and waiting for the playoffs. And so baseball, baseball gets center stage. Yeah, it does. I mean, that... That all-star game. I don't know if you caught any of that. That was just so boring. Like, come on. I was man. I was busy. And from what I can tell, um, I was fortunate that I was busy. It sounds like it was <laughs> I terrible. didn't watch much of it. Maybe like five seconds of it. It's awful. Well. Yeah, we're uh, our teams, by the way, are on a potential, you know, Eastern Conference Finals collision course, right? I mean, the Celtics are still pretty clearly atop the East, but the Cavs have uh, slowly but surely, after a rough start, climbed their way into into second, and I think they're a couple games up, two and a half up on the Bucks. So yeah, they've been falling apart since they fired their coach and hired Doc Rivers. So yeah, Cleveland go real well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we're not here to talk basketball, especially after that All Star game. We are here to talk baseball. This is episode one twenty six. As always, we will start by talking jersey numbers. And I got to be honest, like we went through 24 and 25, our last two episodes. And it's like, you have some big names with both those numbers. And then we are in 26. And I, you know, if you sort the Jersey number by career war, at least baseball reference war, Jimmy Fox comes up first at 93 and, uh, but he only wore it for one season. So like that doesn't count. Um, And then the next Best player is Wade Boggs, who only wore it during his Boston years. And I am, I am sure, Pete, I'm sure you're going to get mad at me for this, but like, <laughs> I, I don't feel like Wade Boggs. Like, I, I'm shocked to see he had 91.4 career war because I, he does not to me feel like a that tier of player. He's like right up there with Jimmy Fox in career war, and that doesn't that doesn't feel right to me. I, I just don't think of him in that that category. So I'm like. I'm very underwhelmed by Jersey number 26. Yeah. Uh, Boggs is fine. You know, I mean, he's a hall of famer, so he's a hell of a lot better than fine, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm... I probably should be clear that when I'm saying that, like he doesn't strike, like I don't think a Boggs is like inner circle hall of fame, the way I might think of like Jimmy Fox. Sure. And so he belongs in the hall of fame. I'm not any of our listeners out there who are like, do you not know who Wade Boggs is? Like, I know I'm, I'm aware. I just, I was surprised he was that much. And you know, after him, it's like Chase Utley. Yeah. I, I'd give it a chase. So when I started, I started playing fantasy baseball in, I think, uh, 2007 or 2008. And that was like, you know, peak Chase Utley. He was a first rounder. Yeah. Like the the last real like cornerstone first round second baseman before or until Jose Altuve. So, yeah. Yeah. And he was for a while there from a fantasy perspective, just like he was like a cheat code in mm-hmm. second base. He was so good. So I'm good with that. We can give it to Chase. No, no offense to Wade Boggs or any Wade Boggs <laughs> fans who are out there and mad at me now. Um, yeah. So with that, today we are, well, I'm just going to be transparent with all our listeners. We have no plan. We, we, we just sort of were like, I've been traveling. It's Pete's been busy. Pete, oh, happy birthday, Pete. Oh, thanks, man. I, uh... we're, we're recording on Sunday the 18th. 
but yesterday was your birthday, right? It was. Yeah, I turned 32, so I think my my 40 homer seasons are probably in the past at this point. Yeah, you're still. That's like you know, I have, I have literally literally a decade on you. <laughs> I don't I don't turn 42 for another like five days, and so hey. for the next five days I get to feel like I don't I'm not a decade older than you, but I'm I'm straight up like almost exactly a decade older than you. Well, hey, it's a big birthday week for Keeper Cut, so. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But if your 40 home run seasons are behind you, uh, I don't I don't even want to know what's going on with mine. So. You're, you're up for Hall of Fame eligibility soon. 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 Yeah. I, I just I just hope I stay on the ballot for more than one year. That's all I'm really asking for. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we don't have a plan. We've been busy. There's been a lot going on. So I was thinking this afternoon, like there's some guys that I sort of want to know what Pete thinks about these guys. And so my proposal was let's just talk about some guys. We'll ask some questions of each other. We'll throw some names out there and see what we're thinking. We've both been through um, or are in the middle of a handful of drafts at this point. I mean, I've, we've got Pete and I are, are co-managing a team in a dynasty league set up by Matt Heckman. And that draft is ongoing. We've done all three of our listener leagues, both the Fantrax leagues and the auto new league have drafted. We've done the Fangraph staff league that we share on Auto New. We've done, I, I did my original Auto New league. Um, by the way, we now have a YouTube channel. We don't really know how much we're going to use it, but if you check out our YouTube channel, there is a live stream, no longer live, a what, at one point live stream of the League One auction that I went through yesterday. Um, but yeah, we've been through some drafts and so was, some things are starting to settle in. And I, I've got, I just have some guys that I'm like, huh, I don't really know if I get this guy's value yet, if I've really figured out where he falls in and I'm going to start things off by talking about uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, because I mean, on the one hand, he's, he may just be sort of the most interesting guy in fantasy baseball this year, like regardless. So in my, auto new rankings that I put together for starting pitchers. I put him in as SP 12. Um, the guys ahead of him, Strider, Cole, Burns, Gaussman, Valdez, Glasnow, Lopez, Castillo, Wheeler, Webb, and Kirby. And then Adam is 12. Um, looking at some of these drafts that have happened, he like, we took him in that dynasty draft we're in. And we took him as, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, as the sixth pitcher off the board. Now, I do think that Dynasty, like, you know, we talk about auto new, like, yes, it's keep forever, but it's keep forever with salaries and salaries increase. And I think of auto new and keeper leagues in general, like, there's a big difference in, in auto new versus Dynasty, especially with a guy like Yamamoto, because... Uh, and I'm, I'm starting to get into answering the question that I that I want to ask, which is sort of where he fits in. But in a dynasty league, if you overpay, like if we end up, if it turns out we overpaid for Yamamoto, and instead of being the se- sixth best pitcher off the board, he should have been the tenth. It won't change the fact that for the next decade we could be keeping him because um, he's so young and he looks like he's gonna be good. And if he turns out to be a top three, four, five pitcher, we'll be thrilled to have him forever because. A bunch of the guys going before him are are older than him. Um, almost all of them, actually, except for maybe Strider, I guess. But yeah, they're they're older. In in an auto new league, if you take him as the fifth or sixth best pitcher and he isn't the fifth or sixth best pitcher, 
he becomes a cut. And so you have no long-term value from him. That That's a very big difference between auto new and a true sort of keep forever dynasty format. So we took him sixth off the board. If I look at auto new first year leagues, he is going four, five, six, seven, eighth, I think off the board. Um, Strider, Cole, Wheeler, Webb, Gaussman, Kirby, Burns, and then Yamamoto. I had him ranked 12th. Like I said, he's going eighth in first year leagues. We took him sixth in this dynasty draft in a lot of ongoing keeper leagues. He's like the third pitcher off the board, but that's, or, or sometimes even the first or second, but that's because anybody who might be better has been kept. And so Pete, my, my question for you, I guess, is did I, am I low on him by having him as 12th or is the fact that his value is, you know, eighth and out of new leagues, he's going sort of like, is this sort of, you know, the, there's more hype on him than anybody else right now. And so he's getting pushed up beyond where he should go. I think it's it's a combination. I mean, as we get closer to the start of the season, having him 12th, I don't know how often you're going to get him. Whereas, you know, my first draft was over a month ago at this point, and it was in NFBC 50s. And I, I didn't think I was going to end up with him at all. Like, I didn't I think I was going to have any shares of Yamamoto. And he's like my number three starter because I got him around pick like 102 or something like that. Um, so, you know, as we get closer to the start of the season... Was that before he had signed? No, I don't. Uh, actually, it might it might have been. Yeah, because it was okay. that was a really long time ago. Now that I think about it, I'll, <laughs> I'll look it up um, when we talk about our next player. But um, you know, as we get closer, I think he's just going to continue to get more and more pricey, especially since you know he is a Dodger, and this plays into his long term value. It's not like just some young pitcher. This is a guy who has professional experience, even if it's not Major League Baseball. He's pitching for the Dodgers, which is one of the most respected organizations in the sport where there's going to be, you know, a lot of win potential for a very long time. And like you said, he is super young. I was reading about his bullpen session the other day. And like of all the players in baseball, this used to be my answer to this question used to be Joey Votto. But of all the players in baseball, like what hitter would I want to listen to the most when it comes to like evaluating a pitcher? Like who who maybe would have like the best possible opinion on a pitcher? I think it's probably Freddie Freeman. Um, now Freeman's pretty biased because this is his teammate. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he did say, you know, he was talking about the the bullpen session that Yamamoto threw, and obviously it, it, everybody was, you know, probably huddled around and watching him throw. Freeman said it's 95 to 96, and today it was like 18 to 20 inches of vertical ride, so it's riding on you. He doesn't even have to throw that hard with the command he has. It's just the command plus the stuff which makes him the most sought-after guy. It makes a whole lot of sense. It's just a great combination. He went on to say it's things you're not used to facing. Uh, for him to put the ball where he wants in any quadrant, there's just a lot of moving parts. That's a lot of guys are going to have a lot of guys are going to have trouble with that and getting used to it early in the season. So, um, I mean, I don't think there's anything surprising there, but to hear it come from a source like Freddie Freeman, it gets me pretty excited. And I don't, I don't know much about international prospects. Like I'm, I, I, I did not know basically anything about Yamamoto until he he got signed, and we all started reading these things, but. You keep hearing that he has like the splitter of Kevin Gosman and like excellent velocity and elite command. And like, I don't know, at some point, like, yes, you kind of have to value that as basically a top 10 arm. So long way of saying if you have him top 12, I don't know how many times you're going to get him. And and that's been obvious in, in the auctions, the prices we've seen him go at. Yeah, I I think I'm right now OK not getting him if the alternative is treating him 
let's actually say in an auto new league, I'm okay not getting him if the alternative is treating him like a top, you know, six, seven, eight arm, which is basically what you have to do to to get him. Sure. I'm okay with that in a dynasty format, in a keep forever format, or even in a keeper format where there isn't a cost or, or the cost is an automatic last round pick or whatever, right? Any of those kind of structures, like then I'm fine with it. That because it's again the, the the risk reward is very very different there because he can he could be like at the price we paid for him he could be the a top twenty five pitcher and we still get long term value it right. won't have made it it won't make it a good price that we paid as as the sp six but it's not we don't get nothing for him we mm-hmm. just have him locked in for the foreseeable future and that's fine I, my concerns with him there's a couple of things one is like he's moving across an ocean to a new country, a new culture, a new language, a new league. And that's hard. And we have seen repeatedly players come over and really struggle at first. Uh, And so I I think it's fair to assume that this isn't just going to be an easy, smooth transition because it it just, it can be hard. Um, That doesn't mean he won't have an easy, smooth transition. Like sometimes people do. Some people are better at handling that stuff than others. Some people are more talented and it doesn't matter. But I think it's a real thing to be concerned about. I think he's going to deal with a, a level of travel and a length of season that he's never dealt with before. Um, and so we've got to, you got to factor that in a little bit. I just, I always think there's some risk here. I also think, like I've heard a number of people say like, well, the Dodgers who, you know, the Dodgers are the Dodgers, like good organization, well run. They were willing to spend 300 million on this guy, 325 million, whatever it was in this guy. And talking about that, like I hear people talking about that, like it's it's unprecedented, which in some ways it is, right? It beats the coal contract as the large, I think the largest ever given to a pitcher or whatever it is. However, we have nothing to compare him to because there's never been a pitcher, even a good pitcher who's been a free agent at age 25. And so like I look at it and it's like he got more money, more total money than Cole, but he got a lot more years too. And so the, the annual average value on that contract is much lower than Cole's and Cole was a lot older. So I think like the one clear data point we have here is teams value him at age 25, less than they valued a, what, 29, 30 year old Cole when he was a free agent, something like that. Now, Cole is arguably the best pitcher in baseball. So teams value him less than Cole isn't some like, well, then he must be terrible. But it's it's not quite the like overwhelming vote of confidence that I think people are reading it as. I also think it's worth noting that like if you're the Dodgers and you needed pitching this offseason, it's him or Snell, right? I mean, or you know, then you talk about you could trade for Burns, you could trade for Cease, but like it was him or Snell. Those were basically the top end choices out there. And if you're the Dodgers at some level, like it's just money and you have all the money you want and you can just spend whatever money you want. And so the fact that they were willing to spend 325 million or whatever it is, like, I'm not sure that that tells us as much as people want it to tell us. And so those couple of things combined have me like, you know, I just, I think it's probably worth just like taking a step back, taking the foot off the gas a little bit and being like, how confident are we this guy is really a top five pitcher? Because I, I just don't think I don't think that's likely to be the outcome right away. Now, 
that said, like I said, we did take him as the sixth pitcher in this, this dynasty league. But I think that's a different conversation because for example, the seventh pitcher off the board in that league was Yuri Perez. The eighth was Grayson Rodriguez. The ninth was Logan Webb. The 10th was Bobby Miller. I don't think people were drafting those guys saying like, yep, Yuri Perez is the seventh best pitcher in baseball right now. They're drafting Yuri Perez thinking he's probably not the seventh best, but I think he's gonna be really good and I'll be able to keep him forever because he's super young. And like that factors in in a keep forever dynasty format and that, that drives up the price for Yamamoto for me in a way that I'm more comfortable with. But if I'm paying him as a top 10 pitcher, that that starts to feel iffy to me. And I, I'm just more comfortable more around 12, but yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that I haven't heard it talked about too much is, you know, I mean, you, you look at his seven seasons in the NPB and they're incredible. I mean, that the numbers are awesome. There's nothing to really dispute, but yeah. one of the categories is strikeouts and through 897 innings, this is not a small sample. The strikeouts per nine was 9.3 which is definitely not like, you know, jump off the page, get super excited. Now, I don't know if that's typically a lower number um, in the NPB than it is in the major leagues where there's so much sellout for for homers and or strikeouts. But um, still, that, that's something that kind of stood out to me because if you're paying top five starting pitcher, you should be getting every category other than saves. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see where strikeout numbers end up. Yeah, I, I think it is, it is worth noting that... Um, it is worth noting that the hitters in the MPB appear to be, generally speaking, harder to strike out than they are in MLB. Um, and that is, I don't think, a talent thing so much as it is as a baseball culture thing mm-hmm. that we've moved a direction in the U S and in major league baseball in general, where there's just less, um, there's just less downside or there's less of a, a stigma to striking out. Like some of the best hitters in baseball strike out a lot. And everyone's like, yeah, but when they smash the ball, they smash the ball and they get on base at high rate. Cause they walk a lot. And like, if you walk a lot and hit a lot of homers, you can get away with striking out a lot. It seems like in the NPB, that's just like, it's less accepted. Like you still, like there's more of a focus on putting the ball in play. And as a result, guys like, like Senga, Otani, like other pitchers who've come over recently, their strikeout rates have gone up mm-hmm. despite the fact that they're theoretically facing more talented hitters. I mean, not, not just theoretically, they are facing more talented hitters. The average major league hitter is better than the average NPB hitter. Like that. And the top hitters are certainly a lot better, but they strike out more here than they do there. So I do think his strikeout rate will go up. Um, it's a question of whether the other stuff goes the wrong direction. Right. So yeah, love to see. So Pete, who's your, your first guy? What's your first question? Yeah. So mine is not nearly as interesting or as exciting. Um, he's a player that we usually don't give a whole lot of airtime to, but Chad, if I told you there was a player who last year hit 40 homers with a hundred RBI, hit 274, so he he was actually a, a bonus in batting average and scored 84 runs. Like, where would you expect that player to go? I'm not going to give you position or anything like that. I'm not going to give you age, but where would that guy go in draft? 40, 40 homers. 40 homers on the dot. 274. You said 100 runs and like 84 RBIs or something? Is that what you said? 84 runs, 100 RBI, 274 average. 
in early. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's, that's, that's Kyle Schwarber. If Kyle Schwarber had a high average. Sure. Um, and Kyle Schwarber in on base leagues where he is a bonus goes in the top three rounds, four rounds, something like that. Yeah. So I would think this guy would, should be in that kind of range. Yeah, he should be right there. But we got him with pick 284 in the dynasty draft. Um, and that's because it's Marcelo Zuna, who has his warts, who is DH only or util only, as we put it in fantasy. And, you know, this is not necessarily an outlier season because he's put forward, uh, you know, he's had at least one other incredible season before, but he's been typically revered as a pretty good hitter. He is 33 years old. Um, so all of those things obviously matter, and that's why we got him so late. But it just kind of feels like, and I know the util only portion is not going to change. But are we falling asleep at the wheel with Marcelo Zuna in drafts? ADP on NFC is in the 150s, and I'm just looking at everything. I, have, I haven't filtered it. Um, I'm just looking at, you know, basically what it's been since they opened up their baseball draft back in October or whatever. Um, but his ADP is 153.7. Like, yeah, look, util only, that's that's killer, right? But he's still going to hit play every day in the middle of the Braves lineup, and he's fresh off 40 homers, 100 RBI. Like, are we selling Ozuna short heading into the 2024 season? Is he going to be a sneaky 35 homer, 90 RBI guy that's just going to go way too cheap? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, part of the challenge he's hit with Ozuna is like, he's got his off field stuff and it, there are people who are going to either straight up not draft him or, or like, honestly, I've been like, I don't want to pick him up early because I just, I'd rather not have him on my team. Sure. I you get to a certain point where it's like, like we did where it's like, well, I just can't pass on him. Right. Um, I think the other, the other thing with him is, as you said, like, you know, he was incredible last year. He was pretty bad the two years before that. Mm -hmm. I mean, 2021, he barely played, only got in 48 He almost games. got cut. I don't know if you remember. He almost got cut. The only reason he didn't, because right when they were about to do it, and it was like reported out by prominent reporters, was Eddie Rosario got hurt. And then they were like, oh, you know what? We got we to keep Ozuna on the roster. That's the only thing that saved him. Otherwise, he was yeah. about to get DFA'd. Yeah. No, and I think if you look at at what happened to him um in you know the last two years, so twenty twenty one, he was still walking at a pretty good clip, his strikeout rate was solid, but his home run per fly ball rate plummeted and his BAPIT plummeted. And then in twenty twenty two, he started to walk a lot less and strike out a little bit more. It looks like he got a little aggressive, like his his O swing jumped, his Z swing went down. That's a that's a really bad combination. Um, he and then last year he sort of righted the ship on that. He chased a little bit less. He was more aggressive in the zone. Um, but the big change is that his home run per fly ball rate and his BAPIP went back up. And if I if I take a look at his his stack cast numbers, um, he had a big jump in his exit velocity, in his barrel rate, in his hard hit rate. And some of this is that like. If you consider, if you look at Xwoba, his 2021 and 2022 look good. Not great, but good. As opposed to the great 2020 and 2023. I, I don't know what exactly was going on those two years, but it almost looks like, like it almost looks like he was like playing hurt or something like that because 
his numbers were just just way down. He was not hitting the ball as hard. He wasn't hitting the ball hard as often. And so I don't know. You know, was this was this a dead cat bounce from him in his age 32 season, I guess? That was his age 32 season. Like he's just gonna fall apart again. Or was 2021, 2022 a combination of like off-field issues that were were impacting him? plus some bad luck and some sort of fluky decreases in his batted ball quality. I don't know. Um, and that's why, like, you know, you gave me his numbers and I it said, where should he go? And I was like, oh, he should be a top three, four round pick. Like, there's reasons why those numbers need to be discounted if you're thinking about his draft value for this year. And so don't, don't, if you heard me say that before, don't go, like, take him in the third round of a draft. That's a bad <laughs> idea. Um, but. I think, I guess the, the, I'm getting around to an answer saying like, I don't think we're just selling him short. I think he is just very high risk. The fact that he's older, especially in a dynasty format limits the upside. The fact that he's util only limits the upside and the value and all of that plus the off field stuff is combining to him having a depressed price. That's kind of fair. Um, I do think that in like, I didn't really want to take him in this dynasty, but like we got to the 20th round mm. <laughs> it got to a point where it's just like, I don't understand. Like we can't, we can't keep passing on him forever because he could be a top 30 player. You know what the, the, the counter to what I was getting at there could also be is JD Martinez goes even later. And J.D. Martinez was incredible last season. Now, he, to me, has even more red flags than Ozuna. He's a little bit older. He had a major spike in strikeout rate. I mean, he was striking out over 30% of the time, which for J.D., I mean, that's that's awful. That's real high, yeah. But when you look at the StackCast data, it still looks really good. Now, he hasn't signed yet, and whereas Ozuna is is an Atlanta Brave. So, like, another huge difference there. And J.D. obviously won't be returning to the Dodgers. So... Again, I guess these, I'm not saying these guys don't have warts because they definitely do, but I do wonder sometimes, like, do the util only guys get too bad of a rap? Like, do we overrate how frustrating it is to have a player who can only be played at utility? I don't think we do. I honestly I think we, we might be appropriate in the way we rank them, but like these two guys in particular, the seasons they're coming off of to see where they're going in drafts, it's a little wild. Yeah, I I think sometimes there is like there's certainly a discount that comes with the guy being util only as well as a discount of guy being older, um, especially in I mean it's it's especially true in keeper leagues or dynasty leagues, but it happens even in redraft, and I do think people over index on those things, mm-hmm. both of those things, both age and being util only, and so yeah, I I would. Uh, they're both players who probably should go earlier than they do. Um, JD Martinez, is he still not gone in our dynasty league? Um, no, he is. He's still available. Yeah, that's, that's, that is absolutely insane. So we are in the 20th, the 13th pick of the 25th round. Now, granted, yeah. it's, it's dynasty. And, and uh, I think Martinez is going to have a few seasons short, shorter than Ozuna from, from this point forward. But like, Man, that is just 
That's crazy. His his ADP in, on the NFC though, it's all all redraft is two twenty eight. He was incredible yeah. last year. So like I, I don't know. It just it feels weird. It feels like maybe it's too much this year that the utility position or utility only players are maybe a little bit better than we're giving them credit for. Yeah, I, I will also add in a. I think sometimes in the deeper formats, like the fifteen team NFBC leagues, things like that, people are like. Well, you you need guys who can play because your bench is going to be thin. And you're going to have to move guys around and blah blah blah. And like that's kind of true, but the the alternative to that is by the time you get to your like twelfth or thirteenth best hitter on a bench in a league that that's or on a team that in a league that's that deep, like you're looking at someone who's not very good. Right. And so right. having having JD Martinez or Ozuna um, or Otani quote unquote, clogging up your utility spot. Like I think Yotani is going too low in NFBC leagues. He's going in the first round, I think, in, for the most part. He might be late or in the early second or something like that. I haven't looked recently. Mm-hmm. But like he was one of like the top five hitters in baseball last year. If your problem is that Otani is clogging up your utility spot, like you'll be okay. It's a position. Um, yeah. You still have to fill exactly. it. And so I... I I do think that we we sort of over index on, especially in those deeper leagues where like it's hard to fill every position. I I think it's yeah, go get those guys because they're very good bats. So, um, got a few more guys we're gonna go through, but before we do that, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Uh. I'm trying to remember who the next guy I wanted to talk about was. Um, I, I think the name I want to bring up now is Nolan Jones. And Jones is a guy who I have been high on for a long time, uh, dating back to his prospect days in the Cleveland organization. Uh, very much a, a Homer pick. Um he went in the fourth round of this dynasty draft. He's been, I think, going pretty high where he's available in Auto New, but that's not a lot of places because for the most part, people had him from last year and kept him because he was really, really good. But his average price in first year Auto New Leagues is right around $25, $24.75. So where when leagues where every outfielder's available, he is Let's see how many outfielders he's going around. Um, he is the outfielders going ahead of him are Acuna, Soto, Judge, J-Rod, Alvarez, Tucker, Tatis, Carroll, Trout, Schwarber, Robert, Yelich, Harris, Rosarena, and then Nolan Jones. He's the 15th outfielder off the board in those leagues. Um, Seiya Suzuki, Brian Reynolds, Brandon Nimmo, Adelis Garcia, Cody Bellinger are the guys going after him. And when I go look at what Nolan Jones did last year, uh, first of all, he was, he was good. Like he was very, very good. It is hard to argue with the line, um, 20 home runs, but he only got 424 plate appearances. So that's more like 20, that, that's, that's almost closer to a 30 home run pace hit 297 with a 389 OBP. Uh, he had 60 runs, 62 RBIs, but again, that's closer to like a 90-90 pace. He stole 20 bases. He also had a 401 BAPIP. He also played half his games in cores because that's what happens when you're a Rocky. 
and his numbers away from Coors were better than his numbers at Coors. He had a 148 WRC plus in the road. Actually, let's, let's go with Woba because it's a better measure. It's about, so it's not really better. It's about the same. 393 Woba on the road, 397 at home. But that was, again, that that home BAPIP was 374, but Coors, and Coors is a good park for BAPIP. But on the road, he had a 434 BAPIP. That's not reasonable. <laughs> like That's just not going to continue. Um, he struck out. 36% of the time on the road, only 24% of the time at home. That makes some sense given the ball doesn't move, like breaking pitches don't move in cores. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm looking at this and like, I like Nolan Jones. I get why he's the 15th highest paid outfielder in first year auto new leagues. But that road strikeout rate, that BAPIP overall, like there's some real red flags here and I don't feel like people are baking those into his price. Am I wrong? Or do you think this is a guy who's actually like, he performed like a $40 guy. And if people are paying 25 for him, that's fine. No, I'm, I, I side with you on this one. I, I'm in uh, 17 leagues this year and I, I don't expect to have Nolan Jones on any of them just because of this price. And because of those two numbers, I mean, just boil it down to those two numbers that you pointed out strikeout rate, Babip. It's just, it, they're out of control. I wish I could think of players in the past who are similar, but we always have every year. We consistently have these guys who go within the first 10 rounds. Who you, you just got that gut feeling like, hey, they shouldn't be here. And I'm not saying Nolan Jones shouldn't be in the first 10 rounds, but where he's going. I mean, you listed the outfielders in front of him. I definitely want all of those guys before he goes off the board. Um, and then those next couple of names, I'm willing to bet whoever they are, I'd rather take. Now, there is the Coors effect, right? I mean, he is going to play all his home games at at Coors, so while he might strike out like crazy and be poor on the road, he might actually just be this unbelievable at home. I I don't want to play that game. Maybe in a a daily league where you can kind of monitor him and it's shallow, so you're more likely to just take a risk, and maybe he does pan pan out to be a 30-30 guy, but I'm uh, I'm, I'm much cooler on Nolan Jones than the consensus, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm just looking around at some some names from 2022 who had really good seasons and then, you know, may fit this this category for you of guys that you're like, eh, I think we probably should have seen this coming. But Nathaniel Lowe, I felt like was still going really high in drafts last year after having a 368 Woba mm-hmm. in 2022, but he had a 363 BAPIP. And it wasn't a huge surprise. It was an outlier example. season for him. And he came back down to earth this past season. Um, Andreas Jimenez, who I actually think is going to bounce back this year. I'm I'm very in on Jimenez now, but he got priced up really high last year after a great 2022. And again, 353 BAPIP. He he had a lack of power. Um, There were real reasons to be concerned. Uh, Taylor Ward, another name that comes up. So you're right. These guys do exist. That's just one season worth of guys that I'm I'm pointing out now. Uh, I... I sort of go back and forth on Jones. I think I have him like I have him in the Fangraph staff league that you and I both drafted in last week. I have him in my food and travel league that I love so dearly, um, but I'm paying him $8 and $10, not $25 because I had him before or got him at some point last season and, and kept him. Um, and I wish I had bought in on him more last year because I, well, I do think he might fall hard. I think that's a real risk with him. 
at eight bucks, if all I do is use him when he's at home, like, who cares? That's fine. Yep. He could be a half the season platoon guy. And because I think he will put up insane numbers at course. I think like that that should continue to happen. And so I'm I'm pretty good with that. Uh but it's interesting. Yeah, I I think um I think people are just buying in a little aggressively on him. And he's a guy who like I don't know. I'm trying to see where I had him in my outfield rankings because it's I'm wondering if I actually need to move him down. Because I kind of think I had him pretty high up. And the more I look at him, the more I'm like, man, I think people are jumping the gun here. But yeah, I had him 16th. So I, I had him right in that range, 21 to $27. Um, I think that, you know, when I put him there, I put him there on the basis that he could also very easily move up a tier or two because if he repeats what he did, even with a lower BAPIP, like th- that will come down. If he puts up a a year like he did, but with a 360 BAPIP instead of 400 or whatever it was, which I think is more reasonable for him and possible. And I, I think, you know, you don't want to bet on anybody having a 360 BAPIP, but I think he is capable of that kind of season. Then he's going to move up into like being a top 10 guy potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I had him there. But like, I don't know. Should I feel better about like the guys I have behind him? Seiya Suzuki, Randy Rosarena, Michael Harris. After that, it gets a little iffy. Getting to like Yoshida, Soler, Nupar, Adelis Garcia, Jordan Walker. I'm not sure how many of those guys I'm confident I want ahead of Jones. Yeah, that's so. Those, those... And th- that may be the, the the other thing is we've talked a lot about this, but like outfield feels really thin right now. It for sure does. Um, a lot of those names obviously would be format dependent. That was your fan graphs points, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Cause at right. Garcia, there's quite a few names back there that like, I don't see myself in a, in a five by five draft taking Nolan Jones ahead of at Garcia. I don't know if he's going before him or not. I, I haven't looked, but I'd be surprised right. if he was, but I would not, I would not touch him there. The other thing too, that we may need to look at is like, if stolen bases continue to go up, that makes, Nolan Jones's steals just not as significant. So, I mean, he also hits obviously for power, which is great and plays in cores. But if those other concerns are there and I'm not valuing speed, maybe as much as I was before, because I think I can get it either later in drafts or just from other places that maybe I couldn't before. Right. Freddie Freeman just posted a career eye in stolen bases at the age of 33 or whatever. Right. Then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's nice that he was 2020 with that, that obnoxious BABIP and terrible strikeout rate. But Maybe that second 20, I don't need as badly as I did before, um, which waters him down a little bit more. The name that I thought of, Chad, was um, Cedric Mullins after 2021. Now, Cedric Mullins did have a great 2022, and they are super different players, right? The concerns were very different. Mullins was just pull heavy. We didn't expect the power. Yeah, for sure. And it didn't, right? It felt like we were overdrafting this player. That's kind of what Nolan Jones feels like to me this year. That makes sense. I think I'm higher on him than I was on Reynolds or than on Mullins. I mean, going into that season, because I Mullins felt the power was so fake. <laughs> it it just it it felt really fake, and so I was I was a little bit lower on him than I am on Jones. I think, but I it's interesting. It's like the more I look at this, more I'm like twenty five dollars. I don't know. Like I was starting to say, like I need to move him down my rankings because he shouldn't be in that twenty one to twenty seven range, and he shouldn't be at number sixteen. But I do think outfield's just so thin that his upside is just 
tantalizing enough that it's like, I, I get why he's going there and I understand why I ranked him there. And I think I'm probably just going to leave him there. Yeah. So who's your next guy you want to talk about? Well, I was thinking about him thinking about guys who like, I don't know if we've ever talked about on the show before and, you know, looking outside the top 300, like who could somehow end up a first or second round pick after going outside the top 300. And the guy, the player that came to mind for me was Jordan Lawler, who I felt like was at the top of every single like prospect list for like, this is going to be a fantasy stud. He might be a better fantasy player than he is real life baseball player. Um, you know, as a Red Sox fan, he kept getting compared to Marcelo Mayer, who, you know, we was our beautiful pick at number four. Um, but it was more like, well, Meyer might be a little bit less for fantasy than Lawler because Lawler has that speed component, whatever. Lawler's debut was such a flop. Um, I mean, it yeah. was such a disaster for so many to different be, reasons. To be clear, it was only 34 plate appearances. And, and that, so. <laughs> that right there is is what makes me think he's a player worth talking about because I think he's a classic buy-low candidate. Now, if you look at roster resource, um, Geraldo Perdomo is is in a platoon with and, and Perdomo, who, who just had an excellent season, um, is apparently going to be platooning with it looks like an Emmanuel or Emmanuel Rivera. I don't I don't know how accurate that is. I kind of expect Jordan Lawler to if he starts the year in the minors to get called back up pretty quickly. This is a guy who like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes sometimes the fantasy community moves on from prospects too quickly. Sometimes that's very justified and maybe a player who was clearly overmatched had a 32% strikeout rate, his max EV and all those, you know, through you know, it was just 20 batted balls because he really wasn't batting up that many balls was just 99 right. miles an hour. So I look at this stack cast page and if this is what people are looking at and they're like, all right, I, well, I'm out on Lawler this year. I don't know. I'm kind of in. I feel like we treated CJ Abrams that way and he rewarded those of us that were faithful in him with an amazing season last year, especially in the second half. Could Lawler, now 21, do the same thing? I think so. I think he's just a, a player worth throwing a dart at late in your deeper leagues. I don't know how much he's going to be rostered in your shallow ones. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And he is in first year on our new leagues going for like 6 bucks, 575 on average. I'd pay that. Um, I, I think I would too. I, I think the question, my concern with him right now is less about him and more about the team because mm. – Tori Lavo, Lavolo, Lavulo, Lavolo. Yep. I, can't, I never, Lavulo. Former Sox uh, player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Said just yesterday, said Perdomo is going to be our starting shortstop. He's earned that right. I know he has worked very hard in his right handed swing. He deserves the opportunity to show me he's able to handle a full workload as an everyday shortstop. I, I think my, my read of that is like he didn't say, Sometimes managers say things like coming into camp, he's our guy. Or as of right now, you know, he is he is the first shot to earn that job. He didn't say that. He said he's going to be our starting shortstop. Right? Which to me sounds more like spring, you know, barring injury, whatever happens over the next six weeks, when they hit opening day, he's in the lineup. And continuing that, he's he's earned that right. I know he's worked hard in his right hand swing. He deserves the opportunity to show me he's able to handle a full workload as an everyday shortstop. I that to me sounds like he's gonna get a pretty long leash. Maybe not months long, but weeks at least. And so the opportunity for Lawler, other than it via injury, 
is maybe pretty limited until May or June. And then you start to get into a weird spot where because of the rookie of the year rules, they're actually better off waiting until like August to bring him up and keep him under the rookie threshold so that he can be rookie of the year next year. If he's not going to win it this year. Right. So like, I'm not saying that I think that's what they're going to do. I I think that he'll probably be up before August, but I don't know that it's going to be before the end of May. And so I think that's really driving down and will continue to drive down his redraft price, but it's making him, I agree with you. It's making him a good buy low in keeper and dynasty formats. Yeah. I mean, them, them being kind of years ahead of their rebuild kind of works both for him and against him. Right. Because, on one hand, you know, they're trying to contend. They brought in Eugenio Suarez. They brought in Jock Peterson. Like those are also roadblocks like that DH potential where if he was just lighting it up in the minor leagues, they say, let's get him up here. We'll figure it out. Guys can take turns DHing. That's not really going to be there for this team. But at the same time, they are trying to win and he's a huge part of their future. So if he is making it just too hard. You know, if he's if he's lighting up triple A or something, they might just have to decide, like, look, we we have to play this kid. We're we're trying to win. So I guess he potentially could be a trade chip. Perdomo was really good. I mean, walk rate almost 13%. His his OBP was up around 353. Like, that's it's a good baseball player. He's almost a three-win player through 140 games. So and I don't know how many of those he actually started. Uh so you're right. I mean, that is a real roadblock in the way. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why Lawler's price is drove da- driven down. But he seems like to me the type of guy who you, there's going to be fantasy managers all around who, if he does get called up, they're going to add him off free agency. And now his cost to keep is going to be free. And they're going to roster Jordan Lawler for a very long time. Yeah, I think if he's if he's not like if he's available in your league, like you should be either picking him up if you can, or if it's, you know, too late because he can't pick up minor leaguers or whatever, like be ready to grab him. Cause I, I think there's, there's a lot of potential there. I think what Lawler needs to get a near term opportunity is to thread a needle where he's performing in AAA. Perdomo's not holding up his end of the deal in the majors. The diamondbacks are in like third place, but still within striking distance. Like if the diamondbacks are too good, then they have lots of time to let Perdomo keep trying to work things out and true they too. can wait things out, right? If they're too bad, Lawler won't be enough to make a difference and they won't have a big incentive to bring him up then either, And right? And so even if you think, like you end up in a situation where I don't think Lawler's a trade chip, but Perdomo might be, mm. but only if he performs well enough to be a trade chip, right? So it's just a weird situation where I think, the Diamondbacks have a lot of incentive to give Perdomo a lot of leeway and they seem to be leaning that way. So uh, let's take one more quick break and we come back. We probably have time to go through two more guys, but we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. The next guy I want to talk about and at some level I might be setting us up to talk about three guys. Um, But the name that, that, I want to start with is Robert Suarez in San Diego. Um, They basically, from what I can tell, based on every comment I've heard 
And this is mostly coming through Dennis Lynn of The Athletic, who is a, a Padres insider and, and it, to, for my money, is the best guy to follow on the Padres. He went Padres News, said after they signed uh, Wusuk Go, he's been arguably the KBO's best closer, will be in the mix for late inning opportunities with the Padres. Neither he nor more widely known Matsui, speaking of Yuki Matsui, have been promised save chances, club officials said. So neither of those guys was told they're the closer. He then goes on to say the team expects to get a clear sense of responsibilities in spring training. Uh, an ad just popped up. Uh, but Suarez, now in the second year of a five-year, $46 million deal, currently projects as the favorite to handle the bulk of ninth inning duties. So that's not a like, you know, this isn't like when when the Orioles signed Kimbrell and it was like, okay, Kimbrell's the guy. We know he's the guy, even though Cano is arguably a better reliever. Um, but it feels like a pretty clear message that Suarez is going to be the closer there. And yet he's going really late and really cheap in drafts and auctions. And I have been very happy, especially in keeper or redraft formats to just pick him up as my like third closer or something like that. I, I was, I was eyeing him in our dynasty draft, but decided to pass on him for other stuff in part, because I think his long-term position as closer is pretty limited. Um, and so I was just sort of like, eh, if we don't get him, we don't get him. It's probably this year and very little beyond that. But I, I get the sense like, I just get the sense that people are ignoring or not not really valuing the fact that he seems to be the guy there. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the, the the biggest part to getting saves is having someone who actually has the job. And as dumb as it sounds, the fact right. that there's a clear message that somebody at least is in the lead right now, I think is very important. It kind of reminds me of... I don't know if you remember this a few years ago. I'm trying to look it up right now. It was 2021. And it was like, Mark Melanson's going to be the Padres closer. Like, it's pretty clear. Like, he's going to be the guy and he's not exciting. But what did he do that season? Well, he finished with a 2.23 ERA and 39 saves. So I think you're you're right to be thinking like, all right, if someone's in the lead for the job, like that's worth drafting. That's worth looking into. In the case of Robert Suarez, I just... I just don't think he's a very good pitcher, which sometimes for a closer, it just doesn't matter. We're chasing that save stat. They get lucky for a year. Think Carlos Estevez for most of last year. I feel like I mentioned him every podcast. Sure. But yeah, like, could he just be this year's Carlos Estevez, which is a useful asset until the wheels fall off? Absolutely. But through 75 in a third career innings, an FIP of 3.68, if that's a starting pitcher, you're like, that's pretty good. If that's a reliever, that's not good. Um, not particularly Remarkable strikeout numbers. The swinging strike rate is completely average. Um, he's got a career 11.9% swinging strike rate. So I don't think, and, and by the way, he's, he's already 32 years old. He's going to be 33 years old. Um, so I guess if I'm looking at this and I say, all right, Rob, maybe I'm looking for saves late. I might take Yuki Matsui even later now. Like if, if people are thinking, well, Suarez has the job. So I have absolutely no interest in this guy. He's just some middle reliever for the Padres. I think he's a, a likely candidate to overtake someone for their job. And so maybe I'm actually using this news to draft more shares of Matsui because I'm going to get him even later. Yeah, I I could see that. I just think like 
you know, you mentioned the 3.68 FIP, but for a closer, that's fine. Like, and it, and it depends on, you know, it depends on the team mentality around closing, but like, you know, my, my bias towards Cleveland or my, my greater knowledge of Cleveland always leads me. The guy I always come up with as an example here is Bob Wickman who closed <laughs> in Bob. Cleveland for years. He was, he was never, not once was he the best close best reliever in that pen. He just wasn't, he was often not the second or third best, but you know, it isn't actually that hard to hold even a one run lead. And it's pretty easy to hold a three run lead. Like if you have a 3.68 FIP, you are for the most part going to hold one run leads and you're going to almost always hold three run leads. And at the end of the day, if that's all you need your closer to do, that's going to be good enough. And so even if Matsui and Go come over and are just dominant forces, I think there's a decent chance that Suarez could just plug along holding that closer job. And the Padres seem like the kind of organization, like they haven't been, they, you know, they had hater. They put him in the closer role. Like they've, they've had, they, they've put those guys in the role, but they also strike me as the kind of organization that would be happy to say, like, we got these two guys that we brought over from Korea and Japan. They're going to be our firemen. They're going to take the toughest inning available. And yeah, that might sometimes be the ninth. There may be cases where they're like, look, we're giving Matsui or go the ninth because they're just better. And we've got to, we've got to strike out. Bets Otani Freeman, which is going to happen to them like 75 times this year, that poor team. Um, but the rest of the time, I think they might just be like, yeah, we're using Matsui to get to get Bets Otani Freeman in the seventh inning. And then the middle of that order in the eighth is going to go to go. And then Suarez will take the bottom of the order in the ninth. And that's just fine. Um, although realistically, the Dodgers will have taken the lead by then anyways. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's over. But but I think like he he's he's not particularly great, but I don't think he has to be. And so in leagues where I'm looking for saves, like I'm pretty happy to take him. Um, and yeah, do you think? And I, now I'm asking a second question. So I'm breaking my own rules. Totally fine. Uh, Matsui definitely next in line. Overgo? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I'm more impressed with Matsui's track record. Obviously, the older player and so much more closing experience. So it could be a situation where, all right, we tried Suarez, who had no closing experience, even though we had this guy who has a million career saves. Now let's give it to another guy who has less closer experience. Like maybe it is this guy has the track record. He's next in line if things don't work out for Suarez. Yeah. But I'm totally guessing there i have no reason to think that that's a fact i'm just thinking what i would be thinking in that position yeah and i, I think the the question with go being 25 years old like he's he's young and he has been a closer not as much as matsui but he has he has closed um in a significant professional league matsui's only 28 so it's not like he's old old mm-hmm. but at 25 if Go gets that job, he could be in that role for a long time. And like, it's, I don't know, like looking at this dynasty league again, uh, Suarez went in the 22nd round, Matsui in the 24th. We're in the late 25th now. Go is still out there. And so, I don't know, to your point, maybe like, maybe we should think about Go at some point because 
I don't know that we have any real strong, clear reason to believe that it's Matsui second. Yeah, uh, there's definitely no clear reason to think that. And so, I mean, maybe Go is just the the fresher arm and they're they're more invested in him long term. I could I could see him being next, absolutely. Yeah. All right, why don't you uh why don't you hit us up with one more name before we wrap things up? Yeah, so I was really thinking like, man, who do I want to want to go with here and uh I'm going to go with Jordan Montgomery, who I just feel like in in baseball in general, based on the contract figures that have been thrown around and and maybe I'm right because he hasn't signed yet, but definitely in fantasy, he is being way overrated. So his, his ADP right now on NFC is 148.3, which to me is just really, really high. Some of the next starting pitchers off the board are Merrill Kelly, who was better last season, or at least you can make the case was better last season. Michael King, who I think has way more strikeout upside. So I'm not just going to rattle off all the next pitchers, but like, I don't know. Jordan Montgomery, I think, is particularly appealing in this free agent class because it does feel like there's this dire need for starting pitching, even though the available Cy Young is still there and he hasn't signed. Um, but he's just he just seems exceptionally mediocre. And so the idea of paying a top 150 pick for him has kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And this isn't the most sexy pick for this kind of conversation, but his strikeouts per nine, the last two seasons are not just low, but they're like awful 7.97 in 2022, 7.92 in 2023. Like this is, this is who he is. He does not strike players out. He's a safe lefty who's, you know, ERA estimators are going to constantly be anywhere from mid threes, which is great to fours. I just, why am I spending a top one? What am I missing spending a top 150 pick on Jordan Montgomery as opposed to waiting and just taking, I, I don't know, whoever after pick 200 who would, has just as yeah. likely of a potential outcome of ha- being just as good or better than Jordan Montgomery. So let me let me go through this. I'm going to look at uh, NFBC, not NFBC. I am looking at ADP on fan tracks. Um where I think probably more of our listeners play, especially given for sure. I'm going to pull that up right stuff. now. Um, ADP on fan tracks. He is 160.78. I'm going to start reading off pitchers who have a worse ADP than him. I want you to stop me when I get to someone you're like, no, I'd rather have Montgomery. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this could be a while. Bailey Ober, Chris Sale, Bryce Miller, Shota Imanaga, Tristan McKenzie, Nick Pavetta, you Darvish. Okay, stop. <laughs> okay, Nick, Nick Pavetta. I want to believe. <laughs> I really do. Like I, I want to believe that he's good, but I, I just, I can't do that. Like I'll give Montgomery's due, but the, I think it's okay. worth pointing out the difference in strikeouts. If those two were somehow to get the same amount of innings pitched, which I, I know is the knock on Pavetta, and the ultimate praise for Montgomery is that he's reliable. So this is not fair. Pavetta would strike out like 50 to 60 more batters. So maybe yeah. I would rather Pavetta. Yeah. And I think just to throw it out there, like after Pavetta, I mentioned Darvish after Darvish is Braxton Garrett, then Brian Wu, Shane Boz, Reed Detmers, Brian Bayo, Carlos Rodon. Um, <laughs> I'm like, there's a bunch of guys like you can make, you, you start to get into a, a, a space there where you could be like, yeah, I like him. I like, I'll take him before Pavetta. I'm not sure I would take him before Pavetta, sure. but I get why you're, why you're going there. But like, I would definitely take Rodon over him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's not even close. The upside, right. 
And I think, especially in like a keeper format, I'm pretty sure I would take Bayo, Detmers, certainly Boz. Although now the new news on Boz, maybe that's not true. The Rays suck, man. Um, the Rays suck. I don't yeah. know what else to say. So, yeah. And like the next, like 204 ADP, looking at this, this dynasty league we're in, Charlie Morton's still on the board. And yeah, he's a million years old. He's not going to be around as long as Montgomery, obviously. But like... Are you really confident Montgomery's gonna be better than Morton this year? No, not at all. I'm not. So uh and that's that's eliminating the risk that like Montgomery decides he's just not getting the contract he wants, and so he just sits out a while. Sure. Like we're getting we're getting close to a point already. And I think it's something people need to start thinking about with both Snell and Montgomery, that opening day is gonna be in doubt. Yeah. Right? Like they haven't, they have to report to camp. And the other thing that happens once guys report to camp like that is there's like, you know, Verlander reported to camp and his shoulder is bothering him. And um, Kyle Bradish reported to camp and found out he's not going to be there for opening day because he's hurt. Like this happens to guys. And so, well, it's one thing to be like, oh, they haven't been signed yet. They like, they'll, you know, that doesn't mean that they're terrible. It doesn't mean that nobody wants them. Somebody will sign them, blah, blah, blah. But like, they could get signed in a couple of weeks and not be ready for opening day as a result. For sure. And so it's uh it's something to track with those guys. I, I'm with you though on on Montgomery. I think um I I don't know. I like I'm pulling up my pull up my starting pitcher rankings again for Auto New, uh, which again a little bit of a different format. You could say it's you know not the same, but um I have him as a borderline top 40 pitcher. Uh, so like I have him 39th. And if you, if you look at the guys that I just talked about, like I have sale above him, I have Rodon above him. Um, guys right after him, like Nick Lodolo, who is just so high risk, high reward. And as I look at this, I probably would take Lodolo over Montgomery because I'd rather take the gamble than have the boring safe. Although it depends a little bit on what's going on with your team. Um, Walker Bueller, who I'm way low on compared to everyone else, which I get Braxton Garrett. I might take over Montgomery. I may need to move Montgomery down. I probably should move Montgomery down a tier in this league and in, in my rankings. I have him in the 10 to $14 range. And I just don't think I'm paying 10 bucks for Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. In a, not a new league. And it, it's not to disrespect the pitcher of Jordan. Montgomery. Like I totally understand why people like him and want Jordan Montgomery on their major league team. I don't yeah. for the contract figures that have been thrown around to be clear. I think those have been a little bit crazy. It stressed me out a little bit as a Red Sox fan, but that, you know what? That's the market <laughs> price. Good for Jordan Montgomery. If he gets it, that's terrific. But you start naming those names and it's an interesting group. It's like the veteran former aces who we think might, maybe they're not going to be aces again, but are very good or potentially very good in Chris Sale and Carlos Rodon. And then a bunch of young names that I just think are just more exciting. And I, I worry if you're taking Jordan Montgomery in the top 150, you really are underestimating strikeouts and his lack of ability to get strikeouts. I will say for for a major league team, like his FWAR the last three years has been 3.2, 2.7, 4.3. And that's including the fact that he only went 157 innings, Mm -hmm. 157.1 innings in 2021 um, when he got that 3.2. But that's like... He's like a three to three and a half win pitcher each year. Like 
that's worth like $25 million a year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what I think he's necessarily worth going forward. You, right, you've got to be like, there's a difference between what he's already done and what he is going to do. Um, but had somebody given him a three-year, $75 million contract before the 2021 season, they would have gotten their money's worth. For sure. The thing is that, for as you said, from a fantasy perspective, he just doesn't get strikeouts, which limits the ceiling and pushes the floor down because if things like if the BAPIP climbs or the home run per fly ball rate climbs, then the ERA is going to balloon because he's not striking guys out and too many balls are in play. And so I'm, I'm totally with you from a fantasy perspective. I actually think as a major league team, like having a guy like that slide into the middle of your rotation is a pretty awesome thing to have. Yeah, yeah, but if you're the Red Sox, you're viewing him as your potential ace, and that stresses me. <laughs> well, that's a different story. <laughs> that's that's a Red Sox problem. That is not a Jordan it Montgomery is problem. A Red Sox problem. But on, on that note of the Red Sox pitching woes, uh, I think we're going to call it a night. Call it a morning. <laughs> it's, a, it's a morning for Pete. It's a night for me. Uh, we're just finishing this up at like 10 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday night. We're supposed to have this posted and live in like a few hours. So I'm going to get on that editing real fast. And hopefully you'll be hearing this very soon. And then we'll be meeting with you again in, I think, two weeks. 